What's going on, man? Welcome back to the basement. I'm Ron. As you guys know, we talked about it last week where we did a Dynasty startup mock draft. We did my Dynasty trade targets. I came out with new, fresh, off-the-press Dynasty rankings. Those can be found on patreon.com slash Stewart. But I like to kind of give you guys some content around the rankings update and just sort of update you guys after looking at 200 plus players and kind of deciding, you know, how do I feel about this player versus this player and just sort of tell you guys, guys who have stuck out as trade targets. And now today we're going to talk through five players that are skyrocketing up my dynasty ranking. So the last time I did a rankings update was January, early January, like week 14, 15. So pretty much the fantasy playoffs have happened since then. Week 18 has happened since then. And what? Two rounds of the playoffs has happened since when. So it's pretty crazy to say, but a lot has changed since now and then. Some players got hot down the stretch. Some players got cold down the stretch. So I just want, want to sort of talk through players who have moved up a bunch of spots in the rankings. These aren't necessarily buys or sells, just players I moved up in my rankings. And I kind of just want to talk through my thoughts on them and what changed. So with all that being said, if you enjoyed the video at any point, make sure down below, subscribe, leave a like. Let's go. Now, our first player that is skyrocketing up my rankings, he goes from my QB 44 in January to my QB 21, and it's the man of the hour. That's not the man of the hour. It's Brock Purdy. And... He is dominating sports media. He is on every Skip Bayless, Shannon Sharp, Stephen A. Smith show. They even had a graphic that like Brock Purdy's better than Dak Prescott, which is hilarious to look at. But he is a really hot topic, and I kind of just want to talk through how to value him as a dynasty asset because he's really, really tricky. Right? He comes in week 13 for Jimmy G, and he absolutely crushes a seventh-round pick out of Iowa State wasn't really even on my radar. He came out as a bronze in my prospect grading model. Like, he didn't pop anywhere. He comes out here, and you can say that this is a lot of Shanahan doing this, but at the end of the day, like, these stats are pretty crazy. He comes in in week 13. Now, we're not counting the playoffs, even though he's been amazing during the playoffs. Just week 13 to week 18, the weeks where he was playing quarterback. Now, he didn't start week 13, but he ended up with, like, 30-plus pass attempts, so I'm going to count it anyways. Over that span... He was first in passing touchdowns, fifth in yards per attempt, fifth in EPA per play, which EPA per play is just efficiency on a per play basis. Guys like Mahomes are first in EPA per play every single year. So he was contributing to winning football games. He was sixth in completion percentage. He was seventh in clean pocket pass grade on PFF, 11th in points per game. 18.1 points per game for a rookie quarterback is crazy. That was more than Trevor Lawrence last year, than Justin Fields last year, Zach Wilson, all of those rookie quarterbacks. He also was 11th in PFF pass grade. Now, 11th doesn't really sound crazy, but we're talking about a guy day three steps in on day one and puts up across the board like top 12 type numbers. And he now has two playoff wins under his belt. He has a conference championship game coming up on Sunday. He's absolutely killing it. Now, when we sort of zoom out and look at this from a dynasty perspective, this is where it gets really tough to gauge Brock Purdy because the NFL... Super corny to say, like, this is almost a dad joke at this point, but not for long. We know, especially guys like Brock Purdy, who are seventh-round picks, they don't get the benefit of the doubt in the NFL. Their leash is much shorter. We've seen guys like Sam Darnold and Mitch Trubisky, who 
were pretty clearly not franchise caliber quarterbacks given three plus years to be starting quarterbacks in the NFL. You don't see that same type of, I don't know if you want to call it respect, but you don't see that same type of allegiance to trust a guy and see it through with these day three guys. A guy who comes to mind is Gardner Minshew, had a great rookie year for the Jaguars, haven't really heard from him since, just became a backup everywhere else. So you have a guy in Brock Purdy where the floor is pretty low. This could be his like Jeremy Lin, Lin Sanity moment, and he could just get kicked to the curb next year like Gardner Minshew did after one year, or he could be Kurt Warner or Tom Brady. And I think anyone that is pretending to know and say, you know, he's amazing, the 49ers 100% are going to start him week one, I think you're full of it. Nobody truly knows how this is going to work out, and especially we don't know how it's going to work out right now until after the Super Bowl. Brock Brady goes out there wins the Super Bowl, I'd say probably a lock. He starts week one for the Niners. You probably just have to give him that respect. But, I mean, what if it comes out, or not comes out, but what if he goes into Philly and lays an egg and they lose 31-0, to zero, no passing touchdowns with those three picks? Does he start week one? It's really tough to say. So, with the info we have right now, I wanted to run some numbers real quick and kind of see what the historical context is here just in terms of players drafted so i look at i looked at quarterbacks drafted in day three so rounds four through seven and i sorted them by points per game and there really isn't a lot of success stories for these day three guys you have dak or success stories from these day three guys that pop on week one it's in year one now, of course, I only have data going back to 2007, so I don't have guys. I don't think Brady really played until like year three. You know what I mean? It's very rare for a day three guy to come in on day one and be amazing. I think Kurt Warner was like, I think he was like maybe like a, tw- like I-, I think that he played in like the Arena Football League and CFL for a while. Like I don't think that he flashed his rookie year or I, I don't think that he was even like a sub 25 year old rookie. It could be way off. I'm, tw- I'm, I'm 21, born in 2001. I truly don't really know the Kurt Warner story. But you're dealing with like a very small group of players, which is kind of a good thing and a bad thing. It means that there's not a lot of precedence, but it also means that there's something special here. And when we look here, I sort of by points per game. As you can see, clean PFF passing grade. I mean, he looks at the part. He's there behind Dak, behind Minshew, ahead of Kirk Cousins. And of course, we're dealing with a really small sample size. So I'm not going to say that this is the definitive what we're looking at here, but I think it would be reasonable to say that he's probably somewhere between either Gardner Minshew kicked to the curb in year one or, you know, Dak Prescott, Kirk Cousins, like perennial starters in the NFL. And that is pretty promising. And it's also a good sign that he was a Konami code rusher in college. Konami code, I have statue, mobile, Konami code. I have rushing thresholds for all three. Brock Purdy, he hasn't run a ton in the NFL, but he ran a bunch in college, which means, you know, in the future, he could have some Konami code type rushing upside. There's a lot to like here. Now, when we talk about the 49er situation, in 2023 Jimmy G's a free agent they almost surely let him walk at this point there's no way you now have three quarterbacks on the roster that could all start week one and it's probably going to be either Trey Lance and Brock Purdy battling for the QB one spot or one of them gets traded if one of them was to get traded I would imagine it would be Lance so it's really really tough to say I don't think I feel super strongly I don't think it's wise to feel super strongly either way and say you know this is exactly what's going to happen Lance is going to come in, be the week one starter, kick Brock Purdy to the curb. We'll never hear him from again. And then the opposite is true that, you know, Trey Lance is overrated. It's been three years now, or it's about to be three years. He hasn't been great. Brock Purdy's the guy. Again, we truly, truly have no clue. Lance is a promising young quarterback, just 22 years old. 
has dealing has been dealing with injuries. Purdy's been absolutely money on the field. I just like the idea in Dynasty of betting on players who are good and let the rest shake out. Just considering the NFL has a quarterback problem, right? You had guys like Mike White starting this year. You had guys like Davis Mills and Jeff Driscoll starting this year. You had guys like Skylar Thompson starting this year. There is, across the league, a need for quarterback. So I think just betting on two quarterbacks is a good thing. I don't think it has to be one or the other necessarily. Like, again, Trey Lance could get traded. These guys could both be long-term NFL starters. So I hate to be that guy who doesn't come out here and give you guys a firm take. You know, Brock Brady's going to come out here. He's going to win Sunday. He's going to be the week one starter. Don't sweat it. Top 15 dynasty quarterback. Where I ended up with him is kind of taking this middle ground approach of with each playoff win, he is more likely to start in week one, which is huge. So right now, I bring him from QB 44 to QB 21. That is plus 23 spots. And QB 21 is probably even too low after the most recent playoff win. And I think he should probably be somewhere in like that 17 to 21 range. He should probably be wherever you have Kenny Pickett. He should probably be right next to Kenny Pickett. Just as a young quarterback with upside, we don't really know who these guys are at this point. Again, kind of have to wait and see with these playoffs to sort of get a feel for what they're going to do with Brock Purdy, the quarterback situation. It's tricky all the way around. The way that I operate, embrace the upside. I wouldn't really assume a ton of certainty with who's going to start week one who's going to be the long-term 49er starter i would just look at the numbers say this guy is talented he needs to be moved up in the rankings now moving on from that we have tyler algier and i moved him from my rb40 to my rb29 that's 11 spots that he moved up the rankings and this is another polarizing rookie he played well but he's like brock purdy and that he doesn't have great draft capital to kind of ensure a featured role in 2023 and since my last update and the reason why i've moved up algier 11 spots is because he went on an absolute tear down the stretch and was sort of a league winner in the fantasy playoffs so if we look at his game logs from that stretch of like week 15 to week 17 he kind of went crazy i mean it's two 15 game 15 point games and one 22 point game but he finishes a weekly top 12 running back each week of the fantasy playoffs he averaged over 100 yards from scrimmage per game during that span and was the RB7 in fantasy over those three weeks. Now, again, super small sample, but we sort of zoom out and look at this entire, you know, season. This is the leaders in yards from scrimmage in this 2022 class, and he is second. He had a 1,000-yard rushing season, albeit on a team that led the league in rush attempts, so, you know, probably one of the easier spots to get a 1,000-yard rushing season, but still pretty impressive. So that's why we moved him up the rankings, right? He balled out. Played well down the stretch. You look at kind of the season-long stats. He's there with guys like Damian Pierce. I think that Tyler Algier and Damian Pierce shouldn't be too, too far apart in your dynasty rankings. Probably like a similar tier. He's interesting. Now, when we run his comps through my database. Now, I do want to give a little bit of a, of a preface here. My database is, you guys you guys know me. I get, I get freaky in those Google Sheets. But it's the offseason. I'm still updating things, so you'll see, like, Ramondre Stevenson, I want to say he was at the very least a top 24 running back in points per game. That's not shown in this chart, right? So it should be, like, Ramondre Stevenson, one under top 24 running back. These are going to get updated. I, like, the goal right now is to have everything updated, clean, ready to go, uh, f- like, by the time the combine kicks off. But when we look here, Ramondre Stevenson still towards the top anyways. These are his comps. So he had 10 points per game this year, 4.6% target share, which really isn't that bad. For a guy with like 15 targets this year, I think it helps that he was on such a low-volume passing offense. His target share numbers look decent. 
And I kind of do like the comp here of Chris Carson. It's like his absolute ceiling. Chris Carson, bigger, effective back. Nothing really, really too special about him. But he had two top 12 seasons just from volume, being a bruiser. I think that's what he could be. Uh, now, I will say, the reason I don't have him in, as like a top 24 running back, I have him as RB29, it's just the receiving ceiling isn't great. And as we talked about with Brock Purdy, day three picks don't get any respect. We've seen uh, we've seen the Bills draft Singletary, then draft Zach Moss. On top of that, the Falcons could draft a Zach Evans, a Tank Bigsby. They could even draft a receiving back. Like, what if they get Jameer Gibbs in the second round? Gets pretty ugly for Algier there. Um, we also have seen with James Robinson, he gets kicked to the curb. They draft Travis Etienne in the first round the year after he goes crazy. They then trade away James Robinson. Elijah Mitchell, they trade for Christian McCaffrey. Again, these day three picks at running back don't get any respect. So what I'm trying to say here is when we're talking about these running backs this far out, right? We have free agency. We have the NFL draft coming up. There's a lot of things that can happen, especially for a running back. Like, like a wide receiver, getting another wide receiver added into the wide receiver room, to me, isn't a massive, massive deal, right? Like T. Higgins got Jamar Chase added into the wide receiver room. It wasn't a huge bummer for him. Now, it might be on like the, the value of the dynasty market because they overreact everything. Me personally, there's usually enough targets to go around if there's a good quarterback. But at running back, you can only have one of those guys on the field at a time. So it gets to a spot where if they draft somebody, if they take somebody, it gets really ugly. This is a stacked free agent class on top of a stacked running back class where Josh Jacobs, Saquon Barkley, Miles Sanders, Pollard, David Montgomery, Kareem Hunt, Jamal Williams. Like There is a lot of running backs in this free agent class we know Arthur Smith, head coach for the Falcons, is going to want to build around the run game. So all I'm saying is Algier flashed a bunch down the stretch to kind of put him in that same tier of, I would say, behind Damian Pierce, but I would say probably ahead of like Pacheco and Brian Robinson uh, in that area and really not that far behind. Like I would probably have him and James Cook like in the same bucket. So maybe I'm ahead of the market. Maybe I'm not. I don't think he's really a buy candidate. I'm just saying that, yes, he went crazy uh, down the stretch and he looks promising, but there is a lot that can change. Like I wouldn't just see Tyler Algier, top of the Falcons depth chart, and then hurl him up my rankings. You know what I mean? Just got to be a little bit level-headed here. There's a lot that can go wrong for pretty much every running back outside of like the top 10. Now, or you can even go wrong for the top guys. Like if, if the Jaguars bring in, if the Jaguars bring in like a David Montgomery between the tackles, like if they if they really want or if they don't see ETN as a receiving guy, they didn't, he didn't really get a ton of targets last year, then they could bring a between the tackles bruiser. It can go wrong. Same thing with uh, Kenneth Walker. Like a lot of guys are not safe. Running backs are, are pretty tough to buy for top prices this time of the year. Now, what are we at? 15 minutes. We've only gone through two players. That is just wonderful. Our next player here, Calvin Ridley. He has gone from my wide receiver 33 to my wide receiver 26. So that's seven spots he's gone up. And this one is pretty simple. Calvin Ridley was given a year-long suspension. He has served that year-long suspension. And now that no one can score points in your dynasty teams and we're not in the regular season, he's not, you know, burning a hole in your bench because you can't score points, but he's holding dynasty value. Everyone's on the same playing field. Nobody's scoring fantasy points. So Calvin Ridley gets moved up because we're now at a spot where when that next week happens, right, week one of 2023, there's a chance that he can suit up just like everybody else. Now, here's the tricky part. He served his year-long suspension. Here's the issue. His suspension was through at least the 2022 season. 
for betting on games when he's away from the club's facility. Now, he's going to petition for reinstatement. I believe that he's already has. I think it's going to be an official like petition for reinstatement on February 15th. And that's when we're going to get real concrete answers. So when that comes out, I might even move him up higher. I have him wide receiver 26 right now. He might be a top 20 to top 24 wide receiver once we get that last piece of the puzzle. Again, we need that official ruling on his suspension. But my guess... He misses anywhere from zero to like six games. We'll see. It's truly like weird territory of like betting on games. He didn't bet on any any of his own games. Maybe he did. No, he bet on his own games, but he wasn't playing. He didn't fix them. It's just a bad look for the league, but I, I truly don't think they're going to do anything too, too intense here. Now, you guys might be wondering, why am I so high on Ridley? You know, of course, he's going to be playing next year, but he's still, what, like a year removed from football. But this is Calvin Ridley. He was in the same draft class as DJ Moore, Cortland Sutton. I was going to say Marquise Brown, but that's not true. But he was in the same draft class as DJ Moore, Cortland Sutton, and I think Christian Kirk, actually, which is which is kind of interesting. Now, he's just 28. He's still in his prime producing years. Of course, his dynasty value is not going to be a you know young ascending player, but it's going to be a player that's putting up points on your fantasy team. And the reason I love Calvin Ridley is because if we just look at since 2020, so over the last three seasons – the leaders in points per game in PPR leagues, the only guys that can say that they have a better points per game than Calvin Ridley are Devontae Adams, Cooper Cup, Tyree Kill, Justin Jefferson, Stephon Diggs, Jamar Chase. Those are essentially your first six wide receivers off the board in redraft leagues this year, right? Like Those are the guys I would probably say have the best chance of putting up like a 20-plus point per game season. After that, it's Calvin Ridley. He averaged 17.6 points per game over his last 20 games, and if you ask me kind of like that next tier of like A.J. Brown, Debo, C.D. Lamb, Amon Ross St. Brown, I think Calvin Ridley has a claim to be right in that area of like a top 10 to 15 wide receiver. That could be in that 16 to 17 point per game area. It's what he's done in the past. It's what he did on the Falcons, even next to a guy like Julio Jones. And he goes to the perfect spot. Trevor Lawrence is an ascending quarterback. He's looked absolutely fantastic. He's going to be coming into year three. And this passing offense is amazing. You have Doug Peterson calling plays, which is amazing. They were ninth in pass rate over expectation this year. So in terms of what they were expected, they were passing the ball the ninth highest rate in the NFL. And they had, this is a really good stat, courtesy of J.J. Zacharyson on his data dumps that he does. And the Jaguars had the fifth highest percent of targets going to the wide receiver in 2022, 64.3% of their targets were going to the wide receiver position. So this is a team that passes a lot, uses their wide receivers a lot. And now you guys might say, why would we want that, right? They, if they're passing the ball so much to their wide receivers, that means there's not really a lot of room for a wide receiver to come on. Well, here's the thing. First, Evan Ingram's not a wide receiver, but Evan Ingram is going to be a free agent. Marvin Jones is going to be a free agent. The only wide receivers really on contract are going to be Christian Kirk and Zay Jones. Jamal Agnew is kind of in the mix as well. Christian Kirk will play a slot. Calvin Ridley, yes, he's like a spelt wide receiver, but he only has like a career 15% slot, uh, slot snap percentage. So you'll have Kirk in the slot. You'll have Calvin Ridley on the on the outside. You'll have Zay Jones on the outside. And it's pretty easy to see him leading this team in targets next year and being really, really good for fantasy purposes. So just keep an eye out on what they rule in terms of his suspension. Now, after that, we have Jerry Judy, who goes from my wide receiver 40 to my wide receiver 27, 13 spots. And I'm sure a lot of you guys know, if you had Jerry Judy, <coughs> it was absolutely brutal this year. 
him at wide receiver 40 was like, you know, we're kind of losing hope. Like the Russell Wilson Broncos are terrible. Jerry Judy was kind of dealing with an injury here and there. Like it wasn't, I don't think he played from like week 10 to week uh, 12. So right around when I was doing that update, like he wasn't really doing anything good. And he got absolutely hot down the stretch. And I think it went under a lot of people's noses. He returns from injury weeks 14 to 18, and he goes absolutely crazy. If we look at these game logs from week 14 to 15, or week 14 through 18, I also like circled in red like week 10 and 13. As you guys can see, he took games off between then. He wasn't playing a full snap share. He finally gets back from injury in week 14. He puts up 33, 14, 17, 10, and 24. He goes wild. He averaged 20.1 points per game over that stretch and was literally the wide receiver three from week 14 to week 18. And that late season surge really did a ton for his season-long stats, his future outlook, all of that stuff. Because before then, he wasn't really producing. But on the entire season, if you look at it, he put up a 2.18 yards per out run, which is insane. Garrett Wilson was really, really good this year. His yards per out run is like 1.85. If you have a bad quarterback play, having a good yards per out run is really, really tough. He had a 2.18 yards per out run, which was 15th among wide receivers this year. And he finished as the wide receiver 19 in points per game, despite being on a bottom five DVOA offense with just efficiency. He was on a bad offense. And they put up the fewest points on offense in the entire NFL. And even through all that, he was a top 20 wide receiver. He outproduced guys like Michael Pittman, DK Metcalf, Debo Samuel, all guys who are comfortably ahead of him in Dynasty. And it seems like no one cares. I can't stress enough how impressive it is in the context of this offense, that he played well. And this is a guy that has pedigree. I believe he was like a four or five star a recruit coming out of high school, first round pick in the NFL, promising prospect, strong target earning numbers through his first two years. We were all expecting a big year three breakout, sort of like what CeeDee Lamb did this year. And the issue is the offense completely flopped. Russell Wilson was supposed to be the savior. He was not. And still salvaging the season and turning in like a top 24 finish says a lot about Jerry Judy and his talent in my eyes. And the reason I like Jerry Judy is because he's kind of working his way in. And I think a lot of the data like nerd guys, even though I sort of call myself one of them, would would kind of reject the idea. But to me, Judy is kind of moving himself into that uh, Deontay Johnson, Marquise Brown, DJ Moore area while also being like two, three years younger of just like... Guys who probably won't ever give you like a 20-point-per-game season, but, you know, guys who get open, command targets, and give you wide receiver two numbers. And he does that well. This is a, a really cool metric that 538's been working on where it sorts everybody or it gives you pretty much scores at wide receiver. It gives you your uh, open score, so how well are you getting open, how good are you at the catch point, how good are you after the catch. And when we sort by getting open, Jerry Judy gets open. He is 11th in the open score behind... Nothing but studs. He is a good route runner. He commands targets. He gets open. That's all we're really looking for. So the hope moving forward with Jerry Judy is this next year, the Broncos got a new head coach. This offense takes any kind of a step forward. We don't need it to be a top 10 offense. You just need it to go from a worst offense in the league to league average and everybody eats. Kind of like what Detroit did this year, where Detroit was really bad the year prior. They come out this year look good on offense now our last player that skyrocketed up my rankings is going to be chig or chigosium okonkwo and he was a rookie he was my tight end 23 in the last update and you guys know i did a top 10 lessons learned a while back where i was getting excited about okonkwo 
Uh, and then I finally looked at kind of what he put together this year and was just like, he, he simply has to move up. He's a really interesting prospect. Sadly, a day three guy, but I was going to say that he was young, but he's not. He's like 23, but he has like this Jonu Smith build where he's 6'2", 240 pounds, like clear move tight end, kind of like an Evan Ingram type. And that's what we want in fantasy anyways. He runs a 4.52. 4.52 is blazing fast for a tight end. That's a really, really fast 96 percentile. Really, really good athlete, which means he has a ton of upside. <coughs> now, I don't know why I'm coughing all over the place. Now, I won't have a tight end database with like historical comps and stuff until March. I, go, I told you guys I'm working on a, a tight end prospect model, and then that'll also come with a tight end uh, like sophomore comps database where I can look through, oh, how does this rookie season look all time? I don't have that. But if you guys were watching during the season, I had my top 10 lessons learned, my rookie wide receiver report. I plugged him into the rookie wide receiver report, and he was crazy this year. Now, of course, it was on a small sample, but he ran like 175 routes, which I would say like anything over 100 is probably a fine sample in terms of running routes. He was third in targets per out run behind just Drake London and, and uh, Olave. He was first in yards per out run across the board. This is a tight end that's not even having like, like Olave had like a 15-yard dot. Okonkwo was not getting the ball that far downfield. And he had the third highest PFF receiving grade behind just, or the second highest behind, third highest, I don't know why I'm screwing that up, behind just Garrett Wilson and Drake London, which is crazy. He was literally on a per route basis, like he was competing with Garrett Wilson, Drake London, and Chris Olave. He did really, really well. Again, small sample size, he plays tight end. So there's a lot of things going on here, but I can't stress enough, leading everybody in yards per route run, again, yards per route run, as much as it's a wide receiver stat, it's also an offensive efficiency stat. If your quarterback sucks, as you guys can see with Garrett Wilson, it's going to be really hard to have a good yards per route run. Oconquo's quarterbacks were, were a hobbled Tannehill, Malik Willis, and Josh Dobbs, and he made it work. He produced that PFF receiving grade is absolutely insane. Like That is higher than what Olave had. I believe that that's higher than what Jamar Chase had last year. Could be wrong there, but... It's really, really impressive regardless. So I think you have to respect the per route numbers. You have to respect the efficiency. The role is going to grow, which means that the efficiency is going to shrink a little bit. But he flashed enough that you have to be excited. His only competition this year at tight end was Austin Hooper. He's a free agent. He should get a quarterback upgrade this season or just a healthy Ryan Tannehill next year. I believe Todd Downing, the OC, got fired. So there should be better play calling this year. There's a lot to like. I, I can't guarantee that he's going to give you top 12 tight end numbers next year but I do have a belief that over the long run over the next two three years as we know tight ends going to take a while to develop I think that he has the upside to be you know really really good in this league and when we get to a spot in like the tight end 12 area when you're looking at like Cole Komet and Dawson Knox and these kind of like yucky names I'd rather just bet on Oconquo his stats the per route stuff is just too good to pass on the 4540 is too good to pass on. Again, I don't know when it's going to manifest, but the upside is clearly there, and I want to be prioritizing that. Now, that is going to do it for us today. I hope you all enjoyed this video. Went a little bit longer than I would have liked, but that's just what happens when I'm sitting down having fun with you guys. As always, my complete dynasty rankings will be on patreon.com slash strong story. You can find that in the description. You can find that in the comment section below. If not, likes, subscribes, comments go along. Long way, brothers. Long way in the offseason when we're all, you know, scratching and clawing for views. I wouldn't really say scratching and clawing for views. I don't really care a ton, but 
things are a little bit slower. So likes, comments, shares, all that help the boy out a long way. I will say I'm trying to get better at posting these all on my podcast feed, which is in the description. So it's like Apple podcasts, uh, maybe Google play, maybe Spotify. I don't know. I'm trying to get better at that. So let me know if you hop on one of those and it's not working. I've had people say that the Spotify one doesn't work, but when I click on it on Spotify, it works for me. So I really don't know what the issue is. Um, what else do I have to say? Oh yeah. Also these types of videos, right? We did a trade target one last week when we're really humming, we're doing like five of these a week. It's probably going to be more like one to two from now through the combine, but pretty much understand that once we get 40 yard dash times from the combine, I'll have all my database stuff done, all my behind the scenes stuff done. And that'll be when we get back to full blast content. So if you're like, why isn't Ron posting or whatever, just because I'm doing stuff behind the scenes, but I'm still going to try and give you guys one to two outlined plain videos a week. And then the rest of my week will be spent in Excel spreadsheets doing what I do. Now, with all of that being said, I appreciate you guys sticking around. I appreciate you guys watching. And as always, I will see you in the next one. I got the juice. I got the juice. Channel, Chatham's on. Foolies glad I'm on. Even my haters kind of glad I'm on. Rest in peace to my bag of on. Rapper, song, singer, suspended subpoena from Mr. Meaner.